so Joshua chapter 6, we're um, back in uh, Jericho just before the final assault on Jericho in chapter 6, uh, and then we'll read some verses from chapter 7. So Joshua 6, chapter 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So now we go to chapter 7 and verse 1. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, and the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about three thousand went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the sorry, this seems plain, struck them down on the slopes. At this the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till even evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And moving to verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What what are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That's why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. 
There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, sorry, in the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward, clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward, and the Zerahites were chosen. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families, and Zimri was chosen. Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honour him. Tell me, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messages, and they ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Thank you, Gerald. Well, there's a lot there. I guess if we were uh, new to church, and this is our first time here, and we're hearing about people marching around walls, Uh, We're hearing about trumpets going off, we're hearing about walls coming down, we're hearing about prostitutes, we're hearing about all these funny names, and we're hearing about these men that put dust on their heads, that were tearing their clothes. We think, what on earth has this got to do with us in 2019? Well, hopefully, we'll see that God's word is just as relevant to ourselves today as ever. Because it's God's word, God's word is relevant for all people, for all time. Uh, We've got as a theme uh, for this evening, uh, but what if we fail? And I can imagine if uh, if I was having a conversation with my mum and she was to say, so Roger, what is it that you're going to be speaking about um, on uh, on Sunday? And I was to say, well, we're going to be speaking, but what if we fail? Uh, my mum, who I know loves me to bits, would probably say, ah, well, at least you've got a wealth of material from which you could speak. Because when it came to my driving test, I failed, but my sister passed. When it came to me taking my A-levels, 
I failed and my sister passed and went on to do the kind of degree stuff. And when it came to me retaking my A-levels, I still got a grade just as bad as the first time and failed. When it came to job hunting, because I couldn't do what I wanted to do because I'd failed my exams, well, I couldn't really get a job in that either. And so I ended up going back to where I had a Saturday job. And that was how uh, the wonderful world of Sainsbury's all began. But my sister, whatever job interview she went to, got it first time. So, of course, this whole thing of failure, I can identify with this. What about you? No. Okay. My sister's friends are going this evening. Well, whatever um, you are feeling about this whole sense of failing... One of the things that you get through this passage is that even if you're not used to failing and you've had a success or things have been going well, it's not always any guarantee that that is going to be the case the next day or the next week or the, or the next month or the next year. There's always that potential for something to be hiding and looming round the corner that could actually come back yet to haunt us. There's a variety of lessons that we get uh, in this passage as we look at Joshua chapter 7. We can see that God, see this is just a few bullet points to start off with to just get your juices going and then you can hopefully see that that all the, the mixed mash of words that we started off with, well maybe as we look at some of those principles, yes there's something there for you and for me. God sees everything. Achan's sin was to be rooted out. God saw. Others weren't necessarily aware. We don't know if there's ones or twos that were aware or any particular individual that had seen it, but God sees everything. God looks at the heart. He even knows our heart. Secondly, God's word needs to be taken seriously. There we had those initial verses that Gerald read out from chapter 6 where God says, right, you can have all of this land, but there is a buck coming. But make sure you don't take the gold, the silver, the bronze and all those articles that should be kept in my presence, in my temple for, for, uh, for my, myself. No, that's not to be touched at all. Well, God's people didn't take heed of that. We see that anyone can succumb to temptation. Achan was greedy, materialistic, selfish. We're prone to losing heart, aren't we, very quickly? Look what happens to Joshua, this amazing leader. As soon as there's one defeat, he plummets and is tempted to throw in the towel. This incredible leader. They've seen the miracles of God as the waters have piled up high as they've crossed the River Jordan and across into the Promised Land. And yet, one defeat on and then he's absolutely nowhere and falls face down to the ground we see that disobedience brings judgment there's the defeat um, uh, the um, uh, the defeat in terms of the battle that goes on but also for Achan and his uh, and his family and we didn't read of the graphics but you can read those final few verses if you want to know about the stoning and what happened after that if that's uh, your kind of bedtime reading then get back into chapter 7 when you get home a little bit later there is a time maybe for us to take seriously God's sense of convicting us and to fall flat down on our faces. That was what was necessary for Joshua in terms of how to be then picked up again. We see that every godly person is human and vulnerable. You see that from chapter 7 verse 6. Where is God's honour in our list of priorities? You see that from verses 7 to 9. God encourages the wrong to be dealt with. You see that coming through verses 13 to 17. 
And then lastly, maybe don't play with fire as you're going to get burnt. All of that is in those, uh, those verses that Gerald read to us. But firstly, as we break this down a little bit, let's think about that, uh, that heading of pride coming before a fall. God, uh, God's people had known this incredible uh, victory. Please download, if you've, if you've just come to this fresh or you've missed some of the, the series, you can access that uh, on our website. Uh, I'd encourage you to do that. So you get the train uh, of God's teaching through his word week by week. God's people had this amazing victory. They were in the promised land. Everything is theirs. But there is a but. There is a but. Do not take the devoted things. Chapter 6 and verse 18. And it's not that um, different from way back in the creation account. Where of course there was this, all this wonder in, the, in the, uh, the Garden of Eden. Wow, look we've got all this to ourselves. But chapter 2 of Genesis and verse 15 to 17. We read there that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man... You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. This is your promised land. But, there's another but there. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. 99% is yours, but you cross that line of the 1%. And there's going to be trouble for you as an individual and indeed for the nation. That was what God's word said and declared in those verses in chapter 6. Verses 15 to 19. They had the warning. Pride comes before a fall, doesn't it? Has anybody ever seen a programme called The Secret Life of a Four-Year-Old? You ever seen that? What a brilliant programme. They let these, uh, the, these preschoolers kind of loose at a preschool environment, but all of them are mic'd up. Okay, and there's a a series of scenarios that the leaders in the group uh, set them and they're then sort of sometimes under direct supervision. Sometimes they're given a little bit of space and you can not only see, but you can hear what these children are saying. And we love watching this program, The Secret Life of Four Year Olds. Do do watch it if if you actually uh, have the opportunity. And on one occasion, the preschoolers are there are together and there's a particular task and in comes the, the teacher with a chocolate fountain. A big chocolate fountain. And they've got all sorts of things that the children are able to dip into the chocolate fountain. Strawberries and marshmallows and other sorts of sweets and you stick them on a stick and then you stick these things in the chocolate fountain and then they can eat them. And the teacher says, oh, hold on a minute, I I just need to go and get something. Make sure that no one touches the sweets or the chocolate fountain. And away she goes. You're ahead of me here, aren't you? You know what it's like to be a four-year-old and you're thinking, actually, I'm older than four, but I know what I'd be like. I'd be like the vicar of Dibley, straight in there, if you remember that episode, this life-size model of a chocolate fondue, and in goes Dawn French into the entire chocolate fondue. You see, it starts off with those group, that group of four-year-olds, like teacher has said. But there's a group of kids there, and you just know, with human nature being what it is, it only takes one. 
Teachers not a... Yes, Enright. We know it would be you. He's feeling guilt <laughs> And of course, you will know what happened. One of those children just cannot but hold back. Just put... Of course, as soon as they take a taste, oh, their eyes light up. And of course, one by one, the others. And then they Teachers still out the room, and it's not long before they're picking up the sticks, they're sticking them into the marshmallows, dipping their, their marshmallows into the chocolate, shoving them in. And of course, there's then no stopping them at all. And then, of course, their faces are covered with chocolate, and in walks teacher. Has anybody eaten anything from the chocolate? No, they're all absolutely plastered with the chocolate fountain. Well, I guess that's a small, trivial example of uh, a real spiritual truth, isn't it? You know, God says, don't touch. We think, okay, I get that in my head. No, mustn't go there. But what happens with sin is actually, it's quite attractive, isn't it? Let's be honest. It doesn't have to be a chocolate fountain. We can replace that with our own form of what we struggle with in the same way as Paul wrestled with all that good stuff. That's what I want to do. Yes, yes, yes. I know the good stuff I, I want to do all. Oh, but there's chocolate fountain equivalent over here. And that's what Paul said I end up doing in Romans 7. But that bad stuff over there, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But that's what I get drawn to instead of the good that I want to do. And he's reflecting on that in almost comical uh, style if you read Romans chapter 7. All God's people had to do was heed the warning. But they couldn't. And it only took one individual. And of course the rest, as they say, is history. The Israelite army suffered an embarrassingly crushing, yet totally unexpected uh, defeat. Joshua went on to do what he'd done before. He sent spies out uh, to uh, suss out the land, suss out the opposition. Uh, but they came back saying, oh, this is going to be easy. Yeah, I'm not send that many, maybe two or three thousand, that's all. And God's word says their quote was, for only a few men are there. It's going to be a piece of cake. Joshua errs on the side of caution. He sends in 3,000, but it's not enough. They underestimate either the number or the power of the opposition, or both. Easy to think, isn't it? Complacency. That'll be all right. And in that area of sin, of course, that's dangerous territory. Well, just once is okay, isn't it? Doesn't really matter what I'm doing because nobody else is going to be able to see this well we've already established that that's not true isn't it there is one who sees and of course spiritually speaking if we've had things that have gone well or there's been particular moments that have been uh, uh, very uh, blessed for us that's when we're actually at our most vulnerable time and we unpack that a little bit more uh, this morning seen that time and time again remember one particular lady who got baptized and uh and she was on cloud nine a very powerful testimony that she'd given she was baptized and the following week despite the warnings of beware <laughs> uh, but she didn't heed that warning and then of course within a week or two she completely lost upset i thought that that was going to be it once i got baptized that this was going to be really great all the time no it's a battle isn't it it's tough it's going to be persecution it's going to be really really difficult there's going to be a struggle the longer we've been believers the, the more we know that that is the reality that is true for us 
Why did they go uh, to I or AI? I'm not entirely sure how it's pronounced. I certainly want to, want to question Gerald. I'm sure he's right. Somebody this morning said, oh, I'm pretty sure that actually it was I because they were Scottish. Uh, I'm not going to check that with Mr. Blackie who's just walked in <laughs> from his food chef visit out in the, uh, out in the cafe area. Did God tell them to go and do that? Or was it just, I feel like doing that? When we think about what it's right to do for ourselves as a church, it's very easy for us to respond to, well, why don't we just do this? Oh, I know what the church really should do, but is that a God-directed, God-ordained thing? We've got a number of increasing opportunities that we have here. We've never got uh, the people to resource all of those. So they can't all be God-sent, can they? And someone's got to make decisions about what we think that is what God wants us to do, but no, therefore we can't do that, 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 that and that. Even though, breaking it down, they all appear to be very good and well worth it, worthwhile. What is it that God is saying to us? Joshua was this incredible man of vision, but he'd not thought through the issues relating to what specifically they were trying to achieve relating to the battle of I or AI at all just went on and did it without any due consideration what about your life let's move away from church to think about ourselves individually what is it this week or tomorrow that you're going to give your attention to yes we know we need to make the bed have some breakfast maybe sort the washing out maybe do a little bit of this that whatever it may well be but what is it that is god's instruction for you as a part of his plan for this coming day, week, month. That's important for whoever we are to ask, isn't it? Pride comes before a fall. Secondly, when things go wrong, the encouragement is to turn to God, not to try and hide it. Joshua identified uh, their defeat with sin. He's tempted to give up. We can see that in verses 7 uh, to 9, where he throws himself down uh, before his God. He feels that sense of failure, that defeat he took very personally as if it was all down to him. He sees the drop in the morale of the people where he thought, oh my goodness, we're going to now be a laughing stock. We're going to be overrun. Nobody's going to take what we're about seriously. He's worried about the, the future, possibly his own reputation. And he appears also at least concerned about God's honour. He's in a very low place. And we kind of get that. Whether or not he was aware of the people's compromising, particularly if they can at that stage, we don't know. It's easy, isn't it, to turn a blind eye to that which we know is not right. Very difficult within church situations to think about how we respond to a whole variety of things that can go on or can go wrong. Because churches are made up of people. If it wasn't for the people, we'd have a perfect church. Unfortunately, we know that church equals people. And of course, you've probably all heard the adage, well, if you find the perfect church, don't go and spoil it by joining it. Because none of us are perfect, are we? We all have done wrong things and we will continue to do that. But when we do wrong, let's seek to keep short accounts. There's a difference between that and a lifestyle issue, a choice, a pattern of behaviour. That's what we need to respond to and not sweep under the carpet Whether or not anybody knew about what Achan had done, we have no idea. What we do know is that Achan himself did absolutely nothing about this. He just couldn't help himself. And even when word went round, this major sin in the camp here, he never put up his hand. 
we can see that sense of contriteness and heavy heart that Joshua displayed. Three things. He tore his clothes, he fell face down and he remained there until evening. That is serious prayer. There will have been times, I would imagine, where each and every one of us have probably blown it big time and not even lived up to our own standards, let alone God's. And maybe we've had the courage to say, God, I'm sorry for what I did wrong. That's okay. But I wonder how many of us have reflected that same sense of remorse that Joshua is showing here. I mean, I hope you didn't go around ripping your clothes. That's culturally not as relevant uh, for ourselves. But falling face down, there's something very powerful about that, isn't there? Remaining in that attitude until evening. Well, I've done a heap of stuff that's wrong. But then I rejoice in the fact that when I come to my senses and confess that, then God deals with that. I think, yes, well, then I can move on. Joshua was so pained by the bigness of the wrongness of the people, of something that had invaded the nation, the camp, that he can't move. All the leaders, chapter 7, verse 6, we read, did the same. Wow. Well, I've been a part of a leadership team here for 15 and a half years. I was a part of a leadership in my previous church, around about the same length of time. Never can I recall either of those two groups falling face down flat in that sense of contrite spirit and repentance for the state of the church. Now, not to say that we should have done that. All I'm reflecting back is this is a powerful witness here, isn't it? In terms of the severity of what was going on here. I mentioned this morning that, uh, uh, that I've been a Christian for 36 years. And in terms of a corporate brokenness before God, uh, that's pretty rare. Where God's people just can do nothing else but, but weep pray I've only experienced that in my Christian life once and I said I'll mention a little bit more about that this evening well here we are this evening so a couple of you I know because you want to hear that story I was at Bible College and uh, this Morelands College we're at Morelands Bible College in Sopley in Christchurch and we used to have every Thursday morning what they called chapel and in one sense, there's nothing special about being in a Bible college and you having to go to chapel on a Thursday morning. And of course, what were we doing when we weren't in chapel? We were studying God's work. We were, you know, learning how to be preachers. We were discovering how to deal with pastorage and all that sort of stuff. It was God's stuff all the time, 24-7. So you weren't always in the right frame of mind when you turned up at a weekly chapel for yet another God thing. You can understand that probably in this ghetto that's a Bible college environment. And then one day in this 45 minutes, I have no idea what somebody spoke on or what songs we were singing at all. And there was an open time. We had an open time of praise this evening. But somebody just got up during that session, came to the front. And there, was, there were students that were external that used to drive in and out each day. And I was one of those. There were others that were uh, living internally in the college. And it was someone who, there had obviously been something inside the college that had gone on. One of these internal students came to the front and just with head bowed said, I've got to confess something. 
And do you know, I can't even remember now what he confessed. And I think that's quite helpful that I can't remember. The important thing is he publicly confessed what was wrong. And with that, he sat down. I thought, whoa, never heard that before. Someone else then got up. And they confessed something completely different, unrelated. What is going on? Two people, I've never heard this before. And then another. And then another. All quite short, people tending to be looking down. Wasn't There was no hype Nothing like that. Not at all. That couldn't be further from the truth. That 45 minutes went on for four hours. Four hours. There was a queue of people waiting to share their confession of sin before God. That they felt God prompted them to declare that publicly. I cannot tell you how incredibly sinful I felt to simply be there and know that all that was coming to the surface was sin. Thank goodness we can come to Dorchester Community Church and put on a smile and say, hello, how are you? I'm fine. As if everything is. I wonder if I was going to advocate that this evening and let's not go home until we've all sinned, uh, confessed our, our, not sinned until we've sinned, that's what you have, isn't it? Until we've actually confessed our, our deep inmost, well, I very much doubt if anybody would go first and it would be quite contrived. But boy, is there power in confession. The only thing I can remember other than the incredible atmosphere up there was a, a man by the name of John Davis Dr John Davis who was our lecturer in world mission and missiology and, uh, and John was probably at the time about, about 70, he'd been a missionary in Thailand and one of the things that uh, was quite comical with John whenever he, Dr John as he was on, whenever he did his lectures he'd start off talking about what, and then he would just he would just get so excited and get so carried away. Uh, everything would be in circles, as he writes, and then it would be in another circle. He, and, of course, we would just go with the flow of John telling his stories. It was very difficult in that chapel for 45 minutes for the lecturers to know, well, what are we supposed to do? These guys are supposed to be now learning New Testament Greek. And it's, they decided quite wisely to just cancel that. And no, let's now cancel the lectures after break. Nothing was initiated about, we want you to keep... Nothing. Dr John was the only lecturer who actually shared anything. This is what he said. He said, I've experienced a time of revival in Thailand. He said, I want to share something from that time. When God's people's prayers of confession turn from God forgive us to God forgive me... God is truly at work. When that is then made public, God is truly, truly at work. Wow. Wow. That's the only time I've known that. And I share that story so that we can maybe capture a glimpse of what Joshua and the leaders were feeling about the severity of what was going on here. Okay? That's the reason. 
I want us to enter into that. We believe in prayer here. Dave's led us in prayer. We've had a time of open prayer. We had prayer this morning. There's life groups that would pray. We offer prayer ministry. I'm not so sure we're a church of prayer or a prayerful church. Because when we initiate prayer meetings, our average attendance is less than 5% of the membership. That's not me standing in judgment. It's just saying, look, if you go elsewhere in the world, you're going to find that's probably very different in a lot of churches. Because of the desperation that people have to be on their knees corporately before God. We're not one of those churches. Sad, but that's the reality. It's not a bad thing that every now and then we just acknowledge and admit that. When things go badly wrong, as obviously for Joshua and all of his leadership and the way that the the front page of the Echo had been when they crossed the Jordan, suddenly they're going to be a laughing stock. I wonder if you've ever felt like Joshua. Why? Why? Why did I do that? Why has it all gone wrong? Why have I slipped back into this same age-old pattern? Of behaviour. When things go wrong, turn to God. This passage reminds us that there is hope if sin is dealt with. That is the gospel, isn't it? We believe. We're not here this evening, I hope, trying to kid ourselves that, hey, that's good, I've turned up at church on a Sunday evening, therefore I'll go to heaven. No, we know that we're sinful people. But we know that our sin has been nailed to the cross. And the hope of the gospel is if we entrust ourselves and believe what Jesus has done for us. That is going to be the reason, the only reason alone, that we're able to go to glory and be with him. There are only two ways that we can go to heaven. You thought there was one, didn't you? Well, there are two. One is through being perfect. The second way is through being forgiven. All of my eggs are in the basket of number two. What about you? Forget the being a good person or the church attendance. God's word teaches that there is punishment for sin and our wrongdoing. But the hope is that if we confess that before it's too late, then we can indeed be forgiven. Have that relationship with God. And indeed, receive his Holy Spirit and then one day go to glory. That's the amazing truth of the gospel. And finally, I'll whip through this quite uh, quickly. Deal with what you know to be wrong. You would have thought that Achan would have thought, uh, as this process was going on, all the nation there, we need to get to the root of the problem. And then it came about to the particular tribe. And he's thinking, oh, that's my tribe. I'm in that tribe. And then that was whittled down further to the clan. Oh, that's my clan. Then it was whittled down further again. It's, it's in this family. Oh, oh, somebody better watch out. And yet he'd known all the way along what he'd done. Still time. While we've got breath in our nostrils, there is still time for us to put things right before God. Don't leave it until it's too Late. Sadly for Achan, although he said, yeah, actually, I did those things. It was me. I sinned before the Lord. That was all he said. That was all he said. 
It doesn't take a lot of courage, does it, to say, I've done something wrong. Those of you with kids or grandchildren, if your kids have said, yeah, I've done something wrong, what are you going to be saying? And? David knows exactly what I mean there as a parent of three children. And I'm sure you can identify with that. We want the child to not just think, yeah, I, I, I got it wrong. I'm really sorry. We want there to be that heartfelt response. And maybe God would say to us as adults, well, what about you? What about that which you know is lying underneath the tent that nobody else can see of your own life? That God sees. And maybe tonight it's for us to actually declare that. Just between him, ourselves and him. Why? Because God sees. And he's wanting us to put that right. Deal with your sin. Achan sadly didn't. And he and all his family were punished as a result. Destruction obliterated. Deal with your sin or you will never defeat the enemy. We can see that really through chapter 7 as well. Joshua is told to consecrate the people. That's what he had to do as this process was going to be happening over a 24 hour uh, period. Consecrate them and make them holy because sin is going to be rooted out. They've got less than 24 hours and then they need to be ready because the Lord is going to come. God is going to then whittle it down until the one who is guilty is pointed out. Boom. It's this person. Now if you've been entered into a prize draw, we like the phrase, you have been chosen. This was not one of those prize draw things where you want the finger to be pointing at you. If we look in Matthew's Gospel, there's something quite similar, isn't there? We uh, came around the Lord's table uh, this morning. Matthew's Gospel and my... uh, Bookmark has fallen out. So Matthew, I believe, is in the New Testament, is it not? Yeah, that's good. That's an encouragement. Right, Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. No, Matthew chapter 26, verses 20 to 22. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, surely not I. One of those was Judas, who'd already known what he'd done and planned and was about to execute by way of a plan to betray Jesus. There was only 12 of them there. It was so much easier to hide and pretend it's not me. And that's human nature, isn't it? But tonight is maybe the time for us to say, God, would you forgive me? And if there's someone that we need to actually ask their forgiveness of for something that's gone on in secret uh, or a way that we've spoken to someone, God is going to honour us if we actually act that out and actually put into practice that sense of what he has been speaking to us. Tribes came forward, Judah, then the clan, then the Zerahites, then it's the family, Zimri, then the men came forward, then it was Achan. And then there was the words in chapter 7, verse 19. As Joshua's facing this guilty man, 
And he says, tell me what you have done. When I read that, my mind again went back to that creation of Cain. We've already had the creation of Cain once in chapter 2. Things were okay in chapter 2, but chapter 3, it all went pear-shaped. Because of the fruit that was taken from that tree that they shouldn't have done. And then there's that sense of guilt. As what do they do? What do Adam and Eve do? Well, they quickly hid from God. Well, what a pointless exercise that was. And of course, God seeks them out. Genesis chapter 3, verse 13, he says, What is this you have done? What is this you have done? Pretty much a phrase that's mirrored, isn't it? From what then Joshua is saying to Achan, Tell me what you have done. And maybe we can hear those words. Of course, one day, we are going to be asked, what is it that you've done? Tell me. Life story. And there's going to be nowhere to hide. Nowhere to run. There's going to be judgment, yes. We're all going to be guilty. The only difference in those is going to be in the two groups of people. One group are going to say, but I know that Jesus has been punished for everything that I've done wrong. The others are going to say, I've got nowhere to run. And they're going to need to take on board that punishment, destruction in exactly the same way as sadly Achan had as well. We've got the story unpacked again as we did last week here of the New Testament gospel for us. I hope that we're people of of grace. I hope we know and have tasted this incredible forgiveness that we don't deserve, that we could never earn. And I hope if God is prodding us away with that which we need to put right, that maybe this night, this week, we can seek to do that. Let's come to him as we pray together. God, we do want to say thank you for uh, your truth, for your word. We love your word. We love that it speaks to us. And uh, even if our starting point is one, what is all that about? We thank you that you know us through and through. You know our our areas where we go uh, awry. And we just thank you that despite all of the occasions we fail you, that you love us. Your love is unchanging. It's constant. Your mercies are new every morning, your word says. Thank you that you don't leave us as people who are guilt-ridden. But you say, come, come to me. Taste afresh what my forgiveness is really like. Own it, receive it, believe it. Receive this Jesus who gave of his life as punishment for all those failings. But what if we fail? Just give it to God. Come to him. Let him cleanse us afresh. God, may you do that for us over these coming days and especially right now if by your spirit you're drawing particular things to mind. We pray these things in the amazing name of Jesus.